Welcome. Um, today we are, yeah, you can be seated, sorry. <laughs> uh, today we are continuing a study called Already Finished But Not Yet Done. Uh, it's a study through the books of Revelation and Daniel. And it's funny, today we're going to be looking, I'm covering two chapters, chapter three and chapter four, so I was already nervous about, I have like minutes written on my page on how much time I can spend on each one of these sections because I had to really be on on task, but the, the lesson today is about submitting to God's will. And so as I'm praying about preparing, God's like, don't worry about it, dude. I'm gonna blow up the whole schedule and you're gonna get on stage 15 minutes late. <laughs> so we're, we're gonna submit to God's will, we're gonna do what, what he wants to do, and uh, we're gonna take a look at God's word, okay? Uh, I'm really excited about teaching today because there, for two reasons specifically. One, this is one of the, what we're gonna look at today in Ch Daniel chapter three is one of the greatest stories of deliverance uh, <clears throat> other than the story of Jesus. So I'm excited to, to, to look at where God kind of flexes his muscles a little bit and the minds of mankind just melt. So I, I'm excited about that. But the other one is, uh, this is a common story. This is a story that's told from, to children all the way up. We've heard it a, a hundred times, but uh, reading through it this time, God pointed out something new and I don't know, maybe I'm just slow. You guys may have heard this before, but I'm, gonna, I'm excited to present it because if you haven't, uh, this is actually not one story, but two stories. So I'm excited to look at that with you today as well. Um, so uh, if I teach this correctly, this story is about mighty deliverance, but it's deliverance through mankind's humble submission to their creator, God. And if... Uh, if we can get all the way through this, we are all going to be faced with the same question. Is God the God of my life or your life? Is God the God of your life or not? But before we get into today's text, which is in Daniel chapter 3, so you can turn there, but as you, you're turning, I'm going to catch you up briefly with an intro of, of what we've been talking about. Uh, the, the last two weeks we covered Daniel chapter 1, and then last week we covered Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 1, uh, we saw God raise up uh, a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he came and conquered his people, Israel, and took them into exile. Okay, and when he did that, um, that was a punishment that they deserved. They had coming, he warned them, they didn't turn, so he took them into exile into Babylon. Uh, but in that, we see a faithful servant, a young boy named Daniel, make up his mind not to defile himself with the culture that he lives in. And God gives him favor and blessing because of that. In Daniel chapter 2, we saw God introduce himself, to a, a, introduce himself to this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, and prove his power through his, fav, uh, his faithful servant, Daniel. The way he does this is he gives, he speaks to the king through a powerful prophetic dream that scares the living daylights out of Nebuchadnezzar. And then uh, he, he goes to all of his his wise advisors, none of them can help him. Uh, and he wants to make sure that what they're saying is true. So he says, I, I want you to interpret my dream, but I also want you to tell me the dream so that I know your interpretation is true. No one can do that. Well, Daniel comes and goes, I can't do that, but I know a God who can. So he gives this introduction to the king by going, and, and he, he, he does it successfully. Okay, so now the king who has conquered Israel has now been introduced to the living creator, okay? So now we're going to pick it up in chapter 3. So read with me verses 1 through 6. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was six, uh, 60 cubits and its breadth 
six cubits, which is just 90 feet tall in our, uh, in how we would understand that. We set it, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the, uh, then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald, uh, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that, the, that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Okay, so the time between chapters 2 and chapters 3 is all speculative. But it would have taken some time to build a 90-foot-tall golden image, right? So uh, people who study this think it's anywhere between 12 and 20 years. So these Jewish boys have been uh, serving the king for quite some time, all right? So as the king sets this up and he calls all these important people to come and, and worship this, it's more than just worshiping an idol. He is, uh, he's making more of a statement than bow or, or burn. What he, what's happening here is the, the, um, the dream, that, the, the prophetic dream that God gave him was that there was going to be a giant statue and it terrified him. But the head of the statue was made of gold, and every, every section after that was made out of a, a lesser material. And Daniel's interpretation of this dream was that he was saying, King, uh, God has lifted you up. He, you are, your kingdom's going to be great, and that signifies the gold. But after you, it's going to deteriorate, and it's going to be made of lesser material and lesser material until Jesus, and we looked at this all last week, uh, it, the stone is going to crumble the feet, and, and it, it's going to grow into a mountain and cover the whole world, right? So... The king didn't like that because that means his reign and his kingdom is sometime going to come to an end. So some, somewhere between the interpretation of that dream and understanding that God, this was a powerful God because he had that introduction, he decided, you know what? I'm going to rule my own fate. After all, I did conquer them. I did take their things from their temple and put them in my temple. Who is this God to say what I can and cannot do? So he builds a 90, he, he faces his fear. He goes out and he takes control of it. Who can stop him? He's king. He rules the world at this point, right? So he builds this 90 foot tall structure of gold. And then he commands that everybody comes. And he's like, this isn't going to be not like my dream. I'm going to defy my dream. I'm going to defy this God that told me this. I'm going I'm to I'm build my fear, and it's going to be made out of gold, and I'm going to rule this. And not only that, all everyone's going to agree with me, or they're going to die, including the Jewish boys, the one that have this God. So everybody's going to do this. This, of course, is a problem for the Jews, right? Because in the Ten Commandments, they're not supposed to bow down to any other idol or serve any other God, right? So we have a conflict. <clears throat> So, for time's sake, we're going to jump forward to verse 13, so I'll give you a little bit more. So basically, the, 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 the harps, the, the bagpipes, they all go off, and everyone bows, 
including most of the Jews, okay? Because they don't want to end up in the fiery furnace, except for three, three, well, they're not young boys at this time, but they're young. They're young adults, okay? So they, like Daniel, have dedicated themselves to not defile themselves with the culture that they live in. So they don't bow. They also were given a lot of uh, responsibility after interpreting the dream. When Daniel interpreted the dream, he, the king gave him a lot of responsibility. So these guys are holding very high, highly valued positions. Okay, so the rest of their co-peers that they saved on that day actually want their jobs and wouldn't mind if they got knocked off. Because if they disappear, then they can have the, the greatly honored positions, right? So they see these three individuals not bow down. And we don't really know why Daniel's not there. Because uh, I can hear some of you are like, well, where was Daniel? Was he bowing? He was not bowing, but he was not, in, for whatever reason, we're not given. He must have been on overseeing something else. He was not in the place where when all these guys gathered for this, he must have been on some sort of mission for the king. Okay, so he was not there. Uh, and you can, the reason I would say that confidently is because his character, and we'll see in the next coming verses, he doesn't, he doesn't bow. He, he, he continues to not bow. So I don't believe that he would have been bowing at this situation. But with his three friends, they choose not to do that too, whatever the cost. So now the, the sound goes off. These three don't, don't bow. And these other prefects and satraps, they come to the king and they go, guess what, king? Guess what? Guess what? There's three dudes and they didn't bow. Uh, and I want their job. So when you throw them in the fiery furnace, can I can I take that position? And the king goes, let's read verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these three men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver, uh, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Which brings me to my first point, humbly submit. If God is the God of your life, then you can humbly submit to his will. Now, if I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm standing before the king going, you know, I've been living almost close to two decades without defiling myself in front of the, with, the, with the culture that I live in. I've been working really hard for the Lord. I don't want to be here. I'm in exile, but I'm doing it unto the Lord. I'm serving this king that doesn't really honor God, obviously. Doesn't God owe me something? here. If I'm a faithful servant of God, doesn't God owe me the show up? Right? Because I'm working really hard to keep myself pure. I don't deserve to be standing in front of this fire. If God is all, if he's in total control, can't he prevent this from happening? Right? 
but they don't do that. They say, hey, we have no reason to answer you, O king, but if God doesn't, if he chooses not to deliver us from this fire, that's his will. Okay? So here's what I'm calling the two-story contrast. I told you this is a story about two people. Really, it's a story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it's also a story about a king. Okay? So that's what we've been looking at, his heart towards confronting this God, right? So, if God is the God of your life, then you will sub humbly submit to his, his, his will, which is the fiery furnace. But if not, if God is not the God of your life, even if you acknowledge him, you will meet it with prideful defiance, which means you will fight for a false sense of security. Uh, basically, he's saying, I have, the I have the power to control my own fate here. Um, and C.J. Mahaney, uh, talking about in his book, Humility, True Greatness, quotes this as, Why does God hate pride so passionately? Pride is when human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on him. So the Jewish young men left us this example when facing a fiery furnace or a fiery trial. First, they were courageous. They say, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's verse 16. But it's important to note that these three Jewish boys were not insurrectionists. They were not renegades. They served the king faithfully. They advised him powerfully. Okay? They, he, the king trusted these guys, which is why he, I think he gave them a second chance. He was hoping that they would just do his will. But... <clears throat> What they're saying is, advisors in that time, the king would throw out something audacious, and then the advisors would go, before, because if they gave the wrong answer, their head was gone. So a lot of times, the king would throw out something, and the advisors would go, we're going to get back to you. And then they go do a group huddle, they talk about it, and then they go, okay, let's decide on this. This is what we're going to do. Let's, let's say this. So then they go back and they go, hey, we've decided to give you this answer, okay? Because we've thought it through, and this is our final answer. In this moment, the boys don't do that. They're standing in front of the fiery furnace and they go, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to confer. We don't have to think about this. We have our answer. You know our answer. That's why we live the way that we do, right? That's why we've been living this example. It doesn't start today. We've been doing this because we have a God. We know our God. We won't bow to yours. There's our answer, okay? So now... They've made their decision before this moment not to defile themselves, okay? They expressed their conscious objection, and then they were ready to embrace the consequences, okay? That was, that's what made them courageous. Their job, they knew their role was not to play God. Their job wasn't to decide what was best, okay? Or even to cower at this moment to live another day, to fight another day. I think a lot of times in my mind, I go, you know what, I'll give here so that I can stand strong later. Like, I don't, obviously, if I, if I don't die, then I can continue living on this faithful life, right? They didn't do that. God, over and 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 over again in his word says, just be strong and courageous and watch me be me. Just be strong and courageous, which means I exist. You believe in me because I'm faithful and watch me be faithful. 
So the second, second thing we can learn from these boys, they were confident. They said, our God is able. He will deliver us out of your hand. That's verse 17. Now they aren't counting on God's good favor here. They aren't saying, we know that God's going to save us from this fire. Because if you think back, they watched God choose not to deliver their people. When they went to exile, people were murdered. Families were slaughtered. They and I guarantee you at that point, they were, there were people inside Jerusalem's walls going, God, save us. Save us from these people. Those prayers went unanswered. They've seen it where God's chosen not to deliver them. So looking at this fire, they knew God has a mind of his own. They're not controlling God. He is able, 100% able, but he might not. Regardless, I'm going to stand faithful and I'm going to tell you, regardless, I want you to know if I burn in there, I don't care. I will not bow to your God. Just in case I don't have another opportunity to say this, I'm going to say it now is what they're saying. And finally, humbly submit. In verse 18, they say, But if not, be it known to you, we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image. They are literally putting their lives in God's hands. And they said, whatever he chooses, whatever he should decide for my fate, he is holy, he is righteous, he is just, and he is worthy of praise. They knew who their God was. And they trusted him to do what was best according to his plan. Because they knew him to be a faithful God. Jesus was the perfect example of humility and submission to his Father's will. In John chapter 5, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And in Luke 22, verse 42, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's praying that in the garden before he faces crucifixion. Jesus did not want to suffer and die. He didn't. He says it right here. If, you, if there's any other way that we can do this without me drinking the cup of wrath, let's do it that way. But not, nonetheless, your will be done. He wanted God's will of salvation for all mankind to be accomplished. And I hear what you're thinking. <laughs> I do. I hear what you're thinking. It's, thanks a lot, man. This is a great pick-me-up. Brought in all this, uh, this anxiety. I, I, I can't even sleep because I'm carrying this anxiety and I'll just, I'll keep a stiff upper lip, man, because it's God's will for me. Off to the furnace I go, right? Uh, but let's keep reading. Uh, Daniel chapter 3 verse 19 says that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the, expression, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his uh, counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God's. Brings me to my second point, which is count it all joy. If God is the God of your life, you can find joy in the midst of your trial. Here's the, the two-story contrast. If God is the God of your life, you will have supernatural peace, hope, and joy in the midst of your trial, which is why you can submit to him because he's a good father. And if not, you will look as a non-believer, if you look at a believer in crisis, it will melt your mind. Because you will say, what's wrong with you? Like, how, how, how can you face this, go into this, and somehow you have peace? How can you, or how can you forgive this person time and again? How can you love your spouse through this? Or how, how, how they don't understand it. And here's what we can take away from their fiery ordeal. They saw Jesus face to face. On the way in, I can imagine these boys bound and, and, and being taken down to this fiery furnace that's been blazing seven times hotter. I can just imagine them like, well, you know, our goose is cooked. We're, we're going in. And I'll tell you from personal experience that it's on the way to the fire that you're like, okay, Lord, we're really, we're really going in, man. Like, now's the time. 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 And then you fall in. And you're like, how did I end up in the fire? I stood strong the whole time. How did he take me in here? Why would he allow me to do that? That's scary. It is scary. It's terrifying. But it's not until, well, when they are in the fire that they see Jesus. He didn't walk them in, but he was in there with them. He was in there waiting for them. They get tossed in and they don't go running out. They didn't, they're walking around with Jesus in the trial, in the fiery furnace, inside so much so that the outside looking in is going, we, right? We, I counted three, right? There was three, right? Because now there's four. I have no idea what's going on, but that first, fourth one is going hotter than the fiery fire. What's happening? Okay, so now, and this is really where my, where my mind started to melt. What do you think they're talking about? Truly, I'm walking around with Jesus. Like, we don't get that. We, we, don't, we don't get what they were talking about. What were they talking about? What would you get to see? You're like, and they, think about this. Like, the boys that went down to, or the, the, the families that went down to Mexico. They go, they see, they see Jesus face to face. They come back here, and the rest of us are like, wait, what happened? Like, you, well, you saw Jesus do what? You saw... Ramon, who I've been praying for, come to Jesus? I, I, I missed that? So Daniel's out of town. He comes back, and he's like, wait, what happened? Like, I, I missed the dedication of the ridiculous idol? I missed that? And they're like, no, 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 no. You missed hanging out with Jesus in the fire. And he's like, hold on. Back it up. Shadrach, Meshach, tell me what's going on. And then Shadrach's like, yeah, man. Meshach was like, 
I can only imagine. What? Right? Like, I don't know what they're talking about. But with, that doesn't happen without the fiery furnace. That opportunity does not exist unless you are in the fire. So when we want to avoid it at all costs, Jesus is saying, come on in. I'm going to let you come on in. And I know it's terrifying. Like we look, at, we look at the fiery furnace as a faithful individual going, God, I'm faithful, I'm faithful, I'm faithful. You should save me from that. And God's going, no, it's because you're faithful, you're faithful, you're faithful, that I'm allowing you the opportunity to get in here with me. It's a different perspective. But I, I guarantee you, when we look in a couple of weeks, when Daniel goes into the lion's den, this testimony impacted his, the way that he behaved. I guarantee it. Because this testimony of walking around with Jesus, when he's praying, Lord, send your angel, who do you think he's asking for? The, the, dude, the dude that you sent for those guys, I want him. I, I want to see him. I want to talk to him. Shut the mouths of the lions, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all com comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You don't get the awesome testimony without submission to God's plan. None of us will walk ourselves into a fire. But you've got to submit to God's call to end up in there. When we know and trust that God is going to use it for his glory and for our eternity, we can keep the right, correct perspective. So let's keep reading in, in verse 26. Pick it up in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to be called out of the fire. Like they weren't coming out. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way than the god, or than the king, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So point number three, faithful testimony. If God is the God of your life, your trials are the story he is using to tell of his faithfulness. Here's the two-story contrast. If God is the God of your life, your trials are your testimony of walking with a living God. If God isn't, the powerful witness of God's goodness to his people and really his, his goodness towards you will lead you 
to repentance. It will. But your pride will fight you the entire way. John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Powerful deliverance. This story is a story of powerful deliverance. In the midst of your tri trial, Jesus will be with you. He's promised that. And you will know that you are deeply loved. The best part about knowing that God is the God of your life is realizing that there is a forever kingdom. And it's coming. But you don't have to wait for that to arrive to know him now. There is an awesome testimony that God wants to build inside of your life that shows other people how awesome he is. And the king's true conversion. I know people love to to play judge over other people's salvation. It happens all the time. But, so I'm not going to argue with you whether or not the king was saved here, but I will argue this. Or I will point, I will point I'm not going to argue, but I'm going to point this out, that he went from trying to defy God to recognizing him as the most high God. But what I thought was powerful here is that what impacted him wasn't just that God saved his servants. Okay, in verse 28, he says, his servants were willing to sacrifice even their own bodies rather than defile themselves. It wasn't just that God delivered his people. It was that his people loved him in return. So much so that they would sacrifice themselves for him. Do you walk to your fiery trial knowing that your king is worth it? Because here's my problem. I wish the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were more relatable to us. Where we could all gain some insight and wisdom on how to be strong and courageous the next time we had to take a powerful stand for our living king, our forever king. But sadly, I think that the church that we experience more often is like the king. <clears throat> we like the idea of God working all things together for our good until we disagree with what's best for our life. We will fight him for control the entire way. We try and set up our retirements so that we don't have to worry about him taking care of us. We try and get a good job so that we don't have to worry about him feeding us or our family. And I'll tell you, as soon as something goes wrong, the first thing we do is go, how can I control this situation? It's our, it's our knee jerk reaction. And that's, that's just mankind. That's okay if that happens. But when you have a king that controls every step of your walk, you're, you're, your final reaction, your final decision shouldn't be, I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to make this happen. That's a false sense of security. Not just for believers, but for all of us. God is in control. And when you decide that what God's got planned for you is not good enough, you are fighting, you are, you are being prideful about your plan over his plan. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was to show God as a faithful, powerful deliverer, a story that's going to be told for eternity and ever. We're going to tell this story. God's word is going to live on forever. This story is going to go on forever. 
Think about the Jews that bowed, and they, they're not a part of this story. There's only three. There was more than that living in the, with the exiles that were there. Think about that in your eternity when you choose not to, to bow. It could be a story that we tell forever. And to show a proud and mighty king what he was not. This is a story about, about this, this is two stories. We have the one where God is, is calling his faithful going, I'm going to give you the opportunity of a fiery furnace to be faithful through that. But then he's also showing a, a king, this is what you are not. You think that you are in control of everything. You think that you can, you can and we'll see it in, in the, well, and I'm just going to read it to you. Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. After he has another dream, Daniel comes and tells him, don't do that. You're, you're being too prideful. Listen to what he says. In verse 29, it says, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal uh, residence and for the glory of my majesty. I want to get down on my face right now while I'm reading that. Like how audacious is that? I control my own fate. I set this up. Look at what I've built. While the words were still in the king's mouth, he fell, uh, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that. So he's, he's saying, you're, gonna, I'm, you're now going to be disciplined because you know who I am. You had the turning when the, the boys went in the fire, and now look how prideful you are. Look how powerful you are. I'm going to humble you, right? So what God used these faithful boys to do was show the king, you think you're all powerful, but God is the one that's in control. I think Nebuchadnezzar at that point turned. I think that he acknowledged God as the, the true God, but he still had a pride issue where he thought he knew best for his life. Don't be that kind of Christian. Be the submissive Christian that knows that you have a king that's faithful and worthy and holy and has good plans for you, even if they don't match up with yours. Submit because he is faithful and he wants to do something amazing. Maybe even turn the heart of a king. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I pray for the fiery furnace opportunities. Not so that we gain scars, but selfishly so that we get to see your face more clearly. But as a church, Lord, I pray that our response to your will in our lives would be one of humble submission, no matter the outcome. I pray that we would let go of all of the idols in our life, but specifically, Lord, I pray that we would let go of our pride. Lord, show us where we are prideful, and warn us about what that wants to rob it from us. Lord, you are a king. You are worthy. You are holy. And you are an awesome father. We praise your name, Jesus. Amen.